Okay. So uh, hopefully you can hear me okay. Oh, let's go back right to the top. So today I'm speaking on love, singleness, uh, so love, sex, singleness, and relationship. Ooh, sorry. If you do not know, open most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flocks, flock and pasture your young goats behind the shepherd's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Now, the Bible is fairly clear, um, especially in the Song, song of Songs, that, um, and it has plenty to say about this topic today. Uh, the Song of Solomon uh, actually gets pretty graphic about that, uh, so do read that in your own time. Um, now, when I was preparing for the order of sermons a couple of months, I um, always like to take, we like to take a break from the normal routine of working through a book in the Bible. Uh, we have been working our way through the book of Hebrews, uh, and then I hope to go on to the book of Amos uh, to look at, um, but uh, to look at, um, but we're taking a break now to look at something more thematic. I do believe, uh, as an evangelical, I do believe that the best way of, to read the Bible is to, to work through a book, and we need to make sure that we keep the context right. Uh, and those who have been in my Bible studies know that I'm always asking, where does it say in the, in the passage? Because it's all too easy to take things out of the context and to, uh, to take it out uh, to, to mean something other than what it meant to say. And so context is important, and that's why working through a book and seeing what it has to teach us is really important. But occasionally we like to uh, tackle uh, an important topic uh, in a thematic study or, uh, or sermon. Uh, and with this Sunday falling on Valentine's Day, I thought it'd be uh, good to throw down the challenge for others to speak on some topic to do with it. So throwing down that challenge uh, and nobody taking me up, um, that, me that means I have to put my money where my mouth is. And um, it's one of those topics that, um, well, I, uh, I um, often joke uh, that, uh, that kind of Pastor Craig or Eric has handed me a difficult topic, especially one on marriage. Um, uh, but this time I have uh, absolutely no excuse. And so having been single um, for most of my life, uh, I've had two very brief girlfriends, uh, speaking on the, the topic of love, sex, singleness and marriage, uh, you may be wondering why, uh, why I have any experience on those at all and why I'm in a position to speak on those. Well, to be honest with you, I'm not, uh, but thank goodness that I'm not here to speak on my experience or my knowledge or my wisdom, but rather to expound uh, the, uh, the word of God. And so let me pray before I go on. Father, we do pray that your spirit is here, opening up your word to us, revealing mysteries and your truth and your character. 
Lord, let us humble our hearts. Let us uh, be open to your molding our lives, our characters. And Lord, we pray that you are speaking into our lives and changing us to be more like you so that we can witness for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are speaking, uh, I'm speaking on 1 Corinthians 7, uh, chapter 7. Uh, we are going to do 1 to 16 and then 25 to the end. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman his own husband, her own husband. Sorry, I realize I'm not sharing this. Let me share the screen. So to each, so we're on ver, in verse two, uh, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband, her husband, uh, her own husband. The husband should give his, her, his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you, but because of your, la uh, because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were, like, uh, were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single, as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the marrieds, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a, a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, uh, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? The unmarried and the widowed. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one whom the Lord, Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? 
Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. If you do not, uh, if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if you, uh, you uh, if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. That is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. For now, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as those uh, though they were not rejoicing, though, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want to free you from anxieties. The married man is not anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the, ma the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in sp and spirit. But the unmarried woman is sorry. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anything, anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, having, uh, but having desire under his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to, to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. So originally I was going to jump around the, the Bible looking at each of the topics. So we are looking at love, sex, singleness and marriage. And the, the Bible has plenty to speak on each of those. Uh, but I realized that there is the, I realized that there is so much to unpack here, uh, here in 1 Corinthians 7, that uh, I could probably do a whole series of talks on each of these topics. Um, and just from this passage alone. So forgive me if I miss anything. And if you want to talk afterwards, if you want to ask any questions afterwards, please do. Uh, there is so much here uh, that uh, I won't have time to unpack. Uh, so I'm going to take a, a bit of a whistle stop tour of, of what Paul has to say from this passage. So firstly, sex, this uh, really comfortable topic that we are all talking about the whole time and he hits this topic uh, right from the start uh, so looking at uh, this passage uh, verse one he says now concerning the matters about which uh, you wrote it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman 
but because of the uh, temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The man should give his wife conjugal, her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to hus her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her, her body, for the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, this passage over the years has caused a lot of controversy, uh, many Christians thinking that uh, that sex is bad, that sex is makes you unholy and clean. Uh, but the Bible is very clear that sex is very much part of creation and a wonderful gift of God to bind a man and a woman. Uh, even even prominent secular psychologists say that sex is a uh, a wonderful uh, binding um, act, and it's but it's such an intimate act that it should happen in a safe, secure, long-term monogamous relationship, uh, and it can be da damaging to do otherwise. Well, if that doesn't sound like marriage to you, uh, I'm not sure how to make it clearer, uh, but we also see other things in here, don't we? We see that without sex, we are prone to temptations for, from sexual immorality. That doesn't matter whether we are single or married. Sex makes it without sex. If we go without sex, we are prone to temptations from sexual immorality. This means that in a married relationship, and sex should only be within a married relationship, sex should not be denied to either partner. Now, hear me correctly, when you read this, it says, it doesn't say that a husband or wife should demand sex. Nor does it, is it ever an excuse to abuse somebody or ask for something to do something that they are uncomfortable with. It is to be done within that loving relationship, secure and safe. And I've heard uh, cases of where husbands or wives have withheld sex for punishment or for, or for ransom. Uh, and this is, yeah, this is completely against what Paul is saying here. If you are doing this, if you're withholding sex as punishment or ransom, then you are placing your husband or wife in the path of sexual temptation. Now, let's take the, the, the step back for a minute and talk about how this might be misinterpreted. Uh, the, sec, the secular person, the non-Christian might read this and say, well, that means that sex is a natural urge. Surely we should all be having it all of the time and to be single or rather to not be having sex when you're unmarried is unnatural as well, and we should be fulfilling it. Well, in some ways that's correct. We do have natural desires, but they should be filled in the way that God intended. For example, to take another example, we all have a natural desire to worship something. 
when God is left out of our lives, and we see this so much in Christian, non-Christian lives, they seek idols. They seek to be fulfilled in some other ways, some of which can be extremely damaging. And this is the same as sexual desires. We need to see that, yes, it is normal for us to have those sexual desires. It's normal to, for us to have those longings. But to give in to them in an inappropriate way can be extremely damaging and is not right to be done outside the safe, secure uh, institution of marriage. But returning to the passage in marriage, if you deny your part of sex to your partner, then you are actively putting them in temptation's path. And that is not something a Christian should do. Verse eight. Let's move on uh, again. If you, if you have any questions about that, then please do ask me um, or do talk to one of the senior couples in, in the church. I may not be the right person to talk about your marriage. Um, yeah. So seek, seek advice from a godly Christian uh, couple. Um, there are also plenty of, uh, plenty of uh, good reading material about that. Um, so let's move on. Uh, verse eight, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So to those who are unmarried, those who are burning with passion, it is better for you to marry. Remember that I said that these desires, these passions are, were natural, but we should not give to, into them in sinful ways. Paul is saying that he wishes they could be like him, remain single, something that I'll talk about in a minute. But if they are consumed with it, then they should get married. Now, I have known many people who are consumed with the desires uh, to be married. I don't think it is helped by the pressures from society, from their families, especially Asian families. I think uh, you, you know what I'm talking about and even the church. But praying and actively seeking a husband or a wife is not wrong. And this again can be uh, to deal with this sexual temptation. Okay, if you are burning with passion, and, and all of us you know, have these desires, but if you are burning with passion, if you're burning with desires, then uh, it is not wrong to actively seek a husband or a wife. But be aware, if we look down at uh, verse 39, marriage is for life. Don't just find the first person who will marry you. You are looking at for somebody who you will be spending the rest of your life with. So preferably somebody you get along with. The next section, um, this one, is about, uh, oh, sorry, no, this one, um, verse 12 onwards, is about being married to non-believers. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul commends Christians not to be unequally yoked 
with unbelievers. And that is good advice to any young Christian looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, uh, or an older Christian like me. Um, and that is, um, uh, yeah, but it's saying here that if you're married to a non-Christian, then don't divorce them. Because who knows, hopefully you can convert them. And then you would see them in eternity. And that would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? That is the hope that uh, if you remain married to a non-Christian, your witness can possibly convert them. Because they will know you inside and out. They will see the peace that you have, the change, even if you don't see that yourself. And keep praying. Singleness. Well, this is something I can speak on with a little bit more authority. But again, we are not, uh, I'm not, hopefully I'm not speaking from my experience, but from the Bible. Studies show that single men and women are significantly more productive in the workplace than those with families. That's what studies show. That doesn't mean necessarily on an individual basis. When I work, I, I do wonder sometimes how my friends and families, uh, you know, friends with families, cope with work because I have none of the commitments they have, and yet I still struggle to keep on top of everything. But, uh, then I remember that I have a tendency to involve myself in double, dozens of activities at school, not to mention church and other interests in, outside school and church. And I have a tendency to overwork myself uh, and also being incredibly disorganized. Um, it is also interesting um, and yeah, interesting to note that studies also show that single men and women are much more vulnerable to self-destructive tendencies like addiction. This means that we as a church should cherish our single people and support them. Many churches run on the hard work of those single people. I know that I couldn't be doing what I'm doing at the moment, which is running the Bible study uh, and preaching um, half, half the time um, and trying to organize the church as well as my full-time job if I was married. Uh, but sometimes... I know that churches can be a little bit judgmental of single people. To those single people out there, to those who are listening, um, they will understand this. And uh, please be aware of this, that uh, churches can sometimes be very judgmental of that and, and hold marriage to be the perfect situation to be in. Hold that as kind of, oh, there's something wrong with you if you are single, if you are not married. Now, that's not to say, I'm not saying that married people don't say, oh, I've got this nice person to introduce you to. Well, you might want to ask that single person first. You know, I have no problem with introductions. A lot of my friends have said, yeah, oh, I've got this wonderful person to introduce you to. But they don't follow through, which is disappointing. Uh, but to kind of set up a surprise meeting or kind of say, you know, oh, we're going to meet you for lunch and not turn up. Please don't do that. 
Um, that would be, uh, yeah. And, but also the judgment to think that uh, marriage is the, the perfect situation to be in or the better situation to be in. See, Paul says that it is better to be single. In verse 7, we saw that. He also says in verse 7, it is not for everyone. In 30, verse 32, let's read that. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The married man is anxious about the things of the Lord, but how to please, uh, how to please the Lord. But the, uh, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divide, divided. And it also goes on to say the same about married women. <clears throat> Verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay in a restraint of, upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So married people, do you see that Paul is saying that it is right for you to be concerned about how to please your wife or husband? It is right to be concerned about that. Your priorities are going to be split, and that is right that your priorities are going to be split. Yes, God comes first, but your husband or wife, you should not neglect them. It is important that you make time for them and you consider how to please them. An unmarried person has more time to devote their undivided attention to God. And so this is the challenge to single people and a great challenge to me. If you are not giving God your undivided attention, why not? To single people, if you are not giving God your undivided attention, and that doesn't mean that you should kind of give up everything and devote your life to God. But if your life is not committed to God, then why not? You do not have the excuses that a married person has. And we know that we will be judged by the, the gifts that we have. And this is why sometimes uh, people talk about the singleness as a gift. It is a gift of singleness because we have that time to devote to God. So a quick note on verse 36. Betrothed is not the same as engaged. If you are engaged, then you have promised to marry somebody. Please do so. Do not wait. This idea of a long engagement is... I think a relatively new phenomenon in the last couple of decades. Please don't wait, someone. Uh, but in the time of the writing of this, uh, Paul writing this in the Jewish first century, someone might have been betrothed to uh, another person since birth or since very young. Uh, so it's being promised uh, by your parents, perhaps, uh, that you ha they have promised for you rather than you promising to that person. So this is a situation, children, uh, young people, unmarried, this is a situation where you can disobey your parents, but are only to honor God first. And that's what I'm saying. Choose singleness, choose not to be married to honor God. That is when you can disobey your parents, where your parents want you to get married your, you can dishonor your parents. Your parents want you to get married. Your parents desire to get married. And obviously some, um, some you know, kind of Chinese mums are kind of trying to set you up. 
not talk about anyone in particular. Uh, you can ask me about those stories some other time. Um, but um, yes, uh, you can choose to remain single. Finally, I'm going to talk about marriage. I think I've said a fair about to those who are married already. So let's just recap. Firstly, do not deny sex to your spouse. Secondly, do not divorce non-Christian spouses. Thirdly, pleasing your spouse is important. Marriage is for life. To singles, again, I'm going to jump back uh, a little bit. Please don't think that marriage will solve all your problems. I think sometimes it's sold that way by society or by families, especially Asian families. And I said before, even by churches, they sell marriage as something that will solve all of your problems. I'm pretty sure that married couples will tell you that marriage is hard uh, and this passage says that marriage is hard. I want to free you from uh, the anxieties. That's what Paul says. Appreciate your singleness and think about how you can use it to serve the Lord. With children, it's even harder work, I'm sure. Sorry, I'm going to jump back a step there. Marriage's. Um, I was once told that marriage is more for holiness than happiness. Not 100% in agreement with that, but in many ways, yes, I do. Imagine how amazing your marriage would be if you spent, if each of you spent the majority of your time thinking how to please your spouse. Sadly, we're all selfish and we are far too often thinking about ourselves. It is not for us to demand these things, but to give. Non-Christians will often peck at the marriage vows. Let me move on to Ephesians 5, which is again one of the most controversial passages in the Bible. Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't we have a problem with that word submit as if it means slavery, as if it means subservience? If you are looking to please him first, then surely that's what you're doing anyway. What they forget and leave out is this second part. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means that husbands, you are to live your lives for your wives and be prepared to sacrifice your life even to death for her. I quoted to this to somebody on the internet because someone hilariously obviously put up something about submitting to your wives uh, and uh, then something about no wives like this were to be found. And I quoted this and the guy who answered me said, oh, I don't know about that. Even to death, I'm not sure whether it says that. And I said, what else do you think this means? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It goes on and he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing. Uh, sorry. Uh, so verse 27. So he might present the church 
to himself in splendor, it's very clear from this passage that the writer of Ephesians, that this is Paul again, is saying that husbands, you should be prepared to die for your wives. You should devote your whole lives to, to your wives as Christ loved the church. It can mean nothing else. And wives, if you have a husband who is doing that, who is putting that as a priority, firstly you and then, uh, and then well, firstly God and then you, but you above his own life, then surely that is something that you would want to submit to. But it comes first from each of us, not something to be demanding, demanded, but something to do. So do you see here that marriage is supposed to be a mirror of a much greater relationship? And that is of Christ and the church. And how many non-Christians look on an amazing, long-lasting, loving, supporting, supportive marriages with pure jealousy? I was reminded of that opening, uh, uh, that opening sequence in the Disney uh, animation Up, where you have that loving, long relationship. And eventually the wife dies and it, everyone says that that is the greatest love story and that it moves people to tears. This great, long-lasting, loving, supportive marriage. Non-Christians look at that and wonder. You as a married couple are not just to mirror the relationship of Christ and the church you are to witness to it. You are the witness of it. That is to mirror Christ in the church. Christ loving the church so much that he will sacrifice his life for it. Devoting his life to the church. So that the church might be holy and brought into heaven. So. Nearing the end of this sermon, do you see what I have missed out? Of the four topics, what have I missed out? You wouldn't be alone in thinking that Valentine's Day has become a bit of a cynical marketing strategy for shops to sell sappy products about love. Even the secular understanding of love is twisted. I have spoken about this before, but I'll speak about it here yeah, again. Christians hear the phrase, God is love, and they balk at Christians and say, how can a God of love ever thinking of, think about judging us and sending us to hell? That is not what they consider love. How can a God of love sacrifice his own son? How can a God of love judge us? and punish us. In this case, they have completely misunderstood this statement. 
God is love, not the, that God is a loving being as we understand love. No, God is love. God defines love. In 1 John 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love and does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that he might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also uh, ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in, our, in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, we only know how to love God because God loved us. And this was shown by send, him sending Jesus to die for us. So three things here that we learn about love. Love is learned. It comes about by knowing God. Love is learned. We are... You're, we have some imperfect understanding of what love is built into us and indwelling in us by the spirit. But love is also learnt. Secondly, love is sacrificial. Again, that is something the non-Christian will only barely understand this idea of sacrificial love. They know it through stories and through, you know, through second hand. But we know the ultimate sacrifice. And so we know that love is sacrificial. And we know that love keeps God at the center. That is the third thing. Love keeps God at the center. This is something that non-Christians will never fully understand. So the question is, does love enter our relationships? Does love enter into relationships? It does seem very surprising that when we when I read through the one Corinthians passage on sex and marriage and getting married, there is surprisingly uh, little talk about love. Does love enter into the idea of relationships and marriage and getting married? Well, of course, that depends on what we define love as not as the gooey emotion that today's society would portray it as that is fleeting surge of music happening uh feeling of being overwhelmed and in love and going a bit goo goo but it is the ongoing sacrificial duty that god shows it is by his very being in studying the book of John a couple of years ago, the men's Bible study looked at how loving God is equated to obeying his commandments. We cannot do one without the other. And as for our relationships, the Bible says that we should not enter into them lightly. Song of Solomon gives a very clear warning not to awaken love too early or give it away too freely. If our life is to reflect God, then it is a life to give witness about 
God's self-sacrificial love. If our marriages are to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church, even more so. If marriage is for life and there is no love, then we have not understood who God is or what the purpose of marriage is. God needs to be the center of your marriage and in the center of all of your relationships. And if God is, then so is love. So I wish you a, uh, a good Valentine's Day. Uh, let me pray to finish. Father, you have taught us to love and you continue to teach us to love. To love one another, to love our families, to love you. Help us to put your love of you first. Lord, we thank you for blessing many of us with loving partners, loving husbands and wives. Lord, help us to put you first, but also to know how to put them highly in our lives, to cherish them. Lord, help us to cherish the single people and support them, to show them love. Lord, we pray that you help us to be appropriate in our relationships. We pray that you defend us against sexual temptation. Forgive us that we sin and continue to sin in being selfish, in being withholding love, in, uh, in our sexual desires, expressing our sexual desires inappropriately, Lord. Lord, help us to strive and continue to look to your cross and also look to the future of heaven with you and see that as the greater goal and to continue to resist this temptation for a while. Continue to witness for you and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.